Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Before we get to today's interview, a reminder that you can get a free month in my Healthy Habit Huddles if you subscribe to the Plant Yourself newsletter. Just go to plantyourself.com and click the neon orange sign up here button near the top of the right sidebar. The huddles are hour-long group calls consisting of my teaching and answering questions about how to develop and maintain health-promoting habits. July is Radical Healing Month, and August is all about the specifics of creating and building habits. I started the huddles to support my coaching and consulting clients and members of Tribe Well, but I'd love for you to join us for a month and get three hours of my best thinking. No credit card is required to sign up. And if you like the huddles and you want to join Tribe Well or become a client, just drop me a note when the month is up. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Today's guest, Tim Kaufman, is another shining example of what happens when we stop making excuses and start accepting challenges. When he was in his late 30s, Tim weighed about 400 pounds, struggled with addictions to painkillers, and figured that this was how his life was going to be from now on. After all, he had been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS, a genetic disease that messes with connective tissue and left his knees essentially useless. Tim and I spoke a couple of weeks after he finished his first marathon. <laughs> As our mutual buddy Josh Lajani notes, when people make excuses about why they can't turn their lives around, they spit on Tim's story, because he's got every excuse in the book at his disposal. But one day, he stopped indulging them and started disputing them. His mantra? Eat plants, move your body, and do a little more today than you did yesterday. So without further ado, Tim Kaufman, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Howard. And let me just say that um, I really appreciate what you do, uh, spreading the plant-based message. And um, I'm especially impressed that you don't just spread the message, but you're living it too. So thanks for that. And thanks for having me. Oh, it's a, it's a great pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. So we, we were just chatting before we, we um, turned on the recorder. And I said I wanted to start by... Um, talking about the fact that like in the last couple of weeks, you just finished a marathon. You were a little reluctant to talk about it, but uh, tell, tell us about the, the marathon that you just sort of ran slash walked, your feelings about it, and then we'll kind of get into the whole backstory because I, I, you know, I want people to understand this is, this is a, an amazing journey and transformation. And let's, let, let's, Let's not sugarcoat anything, but kind of start start where you are right now. So t t 
Tell us about this marathon. Well, so I just uh, finished the Buffalo Full, um, I think about three, three to four weeks ago. Um, and it definitely did not go as I had planned. I had been training since January 3rd. Um, we're out here in Buffalo, so it's kind of cold. Um, and I love the cold. And most of my training was done at night. Uh, a lot of it was done in the snow. And some of it was even done with yak tracks on, so uh, I wouldn't slip on the ice. With, with what? Um, yak tracks. They're like spikes that you put on your sneakers. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, now, I have no, in North Carolina, that's not like a, a, a big item at REI. Well, it, it, yeah, actually, that's where I got it from is REI. But um, if, you, if you're climbing mountains, basically, they're the step, you know, if, if it's not, you know, thick enough ice for crampons, then you would use a micro spikes or these yak tracks. But basically, it made it possible for me to run on icy trails, icy roads uh, without slipping all over. So the point is, uh, most of my training was done super cold weather. Uh, one of the runs I did, an eight-mile run, was at one degree. I made myself a deal that if it was above zero, I was going outside. I can't stand the treadmill. Um, and like I say, I love being outside. Um, that's mostly why I do what I do is to be outside. So the training was like all winter. Um, pretty much every one of my long runs was, was colder, uh, 60s maybe, you know, maybe 70 if I, if I was later. Um, and the day of the race, it was 86.9 and like crazy humidity. So, um, it's, it's a long story, but because of the, one of the uh, medical conditions that I have, uh, my body doesn't cool like it should. So, um, I had a lot of trouble with the heat, which slowed me down. Um, and I was kind of disappointed when I finished because I had done a 20 mile run, um, in under four hours, just a couple of weeks before, um, so I ended up finishing, um, I think like six, six fifteen or something, which, um, I was a little bit aggravated about it's definitely an emotional, uh, blender at the end, but what put more pressure on is somehow the Buffalo news got a hold of my story. So they had interviewed me for what I thought was a paragraph. It was supposed to be like a little blurb, um, about the marathon. And after the writer um, started talking to me, everything that we talked about, it was supposed to be about a 400 pound guy that was running his first marathon. And the more we talked, um, the more he dug into my life, the more like little sub stories came out. Um, I, I teach at a, a pretty prominent school here and I teach engineering. Um, and he asked when I graduated from high school and then I said, well, I kind of dropped out of high school. And so that spun into a whole nother story. And then, um, I had some medical conditions that uh, I was taking too many painkillers, and uh, I became addicted to fentanyl, so that spun into another story. But this little paragraph ended up being, like, on the front page of the Memorial Day paper, and then it went onto the back page, like a full spread. Um, we had three sets of photographers. They followed me through the race. So I was really, like, kind of freaked out by it. Uh -huh. um, that put way more pressure on me, and... So now you're you're, made, you're looking for the but, you're looking for the Hollywood ending here. Well, kind of. Um, I definitely didn't didn't want uh, all the publicity, um, but at the same time, my wife was telling me, you know, you've been trying to put your story out, you know, for a few months now, and I guess it's different when it's not local. But when it's local, you know, I didn't think people actually read the newspaper anymore, but apparently yeah. they do. 
Um, but, you know, Bucky said something to me when I hit the finish line. I think he was, like you said, I think he was expecting a finish where, you know, I just break down and cry, and I didn't. Um, actually, I had a couple people kind of holding me up so I wouldn't wipe out at the end because I was just, I was done. Um, but he said, you know, your story is not about the finish line. He said, it's the fact that you made it to the start line. And that, you know, that just like dug into my, it dug into my heart. I was like, he's right. I'm tough on myself and I need to be, but at the same time, just registering for a full marathon is like, when I look back, it's like, it's crazy. Um, I, I almost had to quit college because even with a handicap parking pass, I couldn't get into the school without being in so much pain. I couldn't sit in, in a desk. So it's, it's pretty cool just to make it to the starting line. All right. So the, so the story is not man runs 615 marathon, but it's kind of every, everything that helped get you there as well. And the fact that you're, you're, you're still going. So let's, let's back up. Um, well, you know, where, where, do, where do you want to start with your story to kind of give us a sense of, of how far you've come? Um, well, it probably makes sense to, um, I'll go real quick, like from high school on, um, in, uh, to, to see where I am now, even when I look back to, to what even my interests and uh, hobbies and, and my way of thinking were, it's like, I, sometimes I can't even believe what's transpired. So maybe it makes sense to start. Um, I was, I went uh, to a small school. We live in kind of a rural um, kind of like a mix between farm slash suburb kind of area. Um, so football was a big deal. It still is in my town. Um, and so I played high school football and, you know, you gotta be big. I was a lineman. So, you know, never tried, you know, running wasn't a thing. And, um, so how big, how big were you? Um, I'm thinking when I graduated, I had to be a good, you know, 250, 240, somewhere in there. Uh-huh. How tall, how tall player. are you? Oh, uh, 5'10". Okay. So 250 at 5'10 is, is pretty hefty. Right. But at the same time, I grew up on a farm. So um, I used to work before school and after school. Um, and we did everything kind of the old fashioned way. A lot of pitchforks, a lot of pushing carts. So, it wasn't that I was just, you know, blopping out. I was a tough, I was a tough kid. Um, you know, I was strong uh-huh. and um, I had no cardio. I didn't know that at the time, but I was, I was very strong just from work. I mean, I never really spent time in the weight room or anything, but you know, I, I lifted heavy stuff all day for work. I and mean, that's what we did. Yeah. So you're um, like, you're like a healthy football player. Just correct. Just correct. S- stocky and muscly. Right. Okay. Um, so I ended up, uh, Dropping out of high school, I missed a lot of days, probably from working too much on the farm, but that's a whole other thing. Um, and then I got a job in uh, a factory at UAW. My grandfather worked there. My father worked there. And I kind of knew that's what I was going to do. Um, so it was super good money for someone that, you know, I hadn't, I, I guess I did get my GED before I started there. But uh, for a high school dropout, um, this is back, I don't know, early 90s. Um, I was making like twenty, twenty-one dollars an hour, and for you know everyone else my age, I made as much as their parents did. So, uh, so what was were, a good thing. Uh, what were you doing? Um, I was. I actually went for like a pre-apprenticeship program, so I got into tool and die making. Uh-huh. Um, so I was a machinist for a while, and I bid around a lot, so I could learn different jobs, you know, and 
you know, I learned the way of the, the union shop there, just get as many qualifications as you can, survive the layoffs, and then it just became a cycle. Uh, also got married at a super young age. Um, I had just turned 20, and um, we got married, and a high school sweetheart um, had kids right away. So life was just, you know, 20 years old. We were at a mortgage and car and kid and um, busy, you know, really busy. Um, and then the, the factory closed down. But in the meantime, um, I noticed that when I was a kid, I would twist my ankles a lot and kind of blow up my knees a lot. Um, and kind of just think, well, I'm clumsy or accident prone. Um, but when I got in the factory and, and started, you know, working every day, like over my head and stuff, uh, my shoulder was getting really bad dislocations. Like, um, it got to the point where I'd sneeze hard and it would drop right out of the capsule. Like it, it would just like dislocate right there. So I went to the doctor and they're like, we got to do surgery on it. So I, I got something called uh, arthroplasty where they take all the ligaments and tendons and kind of stretch them out and then fold them on top of each other and then stitch them. So they kind of tighten that, that capsule back up. And when they opened it off, they realized as they're pulling on the ligaments and tendons, they were just stretching like bubble gum. Like they, they weren't as uh, rigid as they were supposed to be. So they started doing some testings. My sister was having the same kind of troubles out in Connecticut. Uh, she actually went to Yale and got some genetic testing. And um, so both of us have this thing called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, and I'm pretty fortunate because I have a kind that just is hypermobile. But so as we're going through this, the doctors are saying you have to, like, quiet your body down. You have to, you know, you have limited use because uh, my knees were already, by the time I was 20, my knees were already, like, spent. They were gone. Um, and I remember the doctor saying there's no point in replacing them. And I quote him. He said it would just be a waste of titanium because there's nothing to attach to. So the joint is worn out because it's so loose from the tendons and ligaments not holding it together. Um, it would be pointless to put a new joint in there when you can't attach it. Uh, tell tell me tell me the name of that syndrome again. It's called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's E-L-H-E-R-S and then Danlos, D-A-N-L-O-S. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, dislocating, um, you know, and, and that hasn't changed. I mean, that, that's a genetic thing, and my joints are still really loose. Um, but what it did is it, it put me on this path that, um, you know, I started on painkillers because I was in a lot of pain. I already had, like, major arthritis by the time I was 20, 25. I was loaded with arthritis. Um, so, you know, we started the splints and the crutches and the canes all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, then, you know, the occupation, um, as I lost my job, they were telling me that you have to get out of the factory. You have to get, you know, an office job or a, you know, a sedentary job or you're not using your body for leverage. So, um, after the company closed, I went back to school and uh, I went the engineering route and got a couple engineering degrees. And I hated it. I hated being in a cubicle. I just hated it. So um, I went back to teach because I love teaching. And so I love my job now because I've only been at this about 10 years. So I'm, I'm fairly, you know, newer for for being uh, 42. But I love what I do now. 
But what that did is it slowed me down, you know, physically. And then you add the painkillers in there. You don't feel like doing anything. And uh, the truth is, um, in the condition I was in, um, I, I don't know if anyone could hold it against me for wanting to come home from work and just sit on the couch and ice down and ibuprofen, painkillers, and everything else. I mean, I was, I was in severe pain. Uh-huh. So I don't know, like how you want me to just keep going. So no, let me, I'm, I'm going to ask some questions. So I'm curious why you dropped out of high school. Like, did you have, you know, c- kind of like this is BS, this isn't important, or were you struggling? Like, what 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 made you want to do that route? Well, um, actually, what made me want to do that route is actually why I'm a teacher today. But um, a lot of the stuff, I mean, you you have basically two kinds of students or kids. Um, and this holds true today. I get to be on the other side of it. You have the kids that are very compliant. Uh, they will do the quadratic equation because the teacher put it on the board and that's what they're supposed to do. And that's great. I wasn't one of those kids. I'm like, what are we going to use this for? You uh-huh. know, when am I ever going to use this? You know, and so I have no interest in it. So things like uh, I'd go to English class. Okay, read Hamlet. No, I wouldn't even bring the book home. But at the same time, this is back when we had libraries that actually had books. I'd go to the library and reference manuals you weren't allowed to take home. So I'd get a children's book out to fix my pickup truck because, say, it needed a starter. This is actually true. This actually happened. Um, I couldn't take the book home with me. You know, it had step-by-step instructions. So I'd go up to the library. I'd read the, the pages on how to take it out, put it back in, go home, do the job, done. But yet, you know, they were saying that I have no reading comprehension when actually I probably had more reading comprehension than the teacher. So it wasn't that I I was dumb or, you know, I couldn't learn. Um, I love learning. You know, I still love learning. It was just, it it wasn't applied to life. Like, it it just felt we were all, you know, trying to get in the same, and it's even worse now to try to put these kids in the same exact standardized test and, but then we get in the world, we're doing all different stuff. So it never made sense to me. The whole the system still doesn't make sense to me. Um, but at least I can have my own little subculture in my classroom. So, uh-huh. but the so bottom no, so line it, is, I it, missed a ton of days. Um, I was terrible. My wife had graduated the year ahead of me. I was working really hard on the farm, and um, I loved vocation because I used to leave school to go to uh, a trade program for electrical uh, electronics, and I loved that part of it, hands on. So I would just skip school, and uh, then I'd jack the mail when it came, for, you know, for my parents. And what I didn't realize is all the letters I had been throwing out, there was a state law that said if you missed, I don't know what it was, 28 days, that you could not pass. So one of the letters I threw out had told them that I couldn't pass and that I needed summer school. And then when I finally came down to, they called me down to guidance, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing summer school. I'm out of here. So that's how I quit school. Okay, so it's a, it's it sounds like you were chafing against a system that was going to only only value one kind of intelligence and, and one one right. one kind of uh, of interest and be and being in the world that there was there was some sort of standard that that just didn't apply to you. Right, and it's actually worse now. I mean, it's a lot worse now than it was when I went to school. I mean, we actually had occupation. We had we called the farmer's math. Um, and actually, that that was the last math I took. It was like a equivalent to eighth grade math. 
um, it was they called it Akad, and uh, it was agriculture math, and it was like figure out your corn yield for this size field, which is funny because I went all the way up through Calc three with a four O, and I wasn't supposed to be able to do math. So, but that's that's a whole other issue. Uh huh. All right. I, so- I found when I was interested in it, like for the machine shop. Um, it, it, let's say you have a circle of holes, like a five-hole pattern, similar to the, the lug nuts on your car. Um, and you're doing this thing on a Cartesian coordinate system, so it has to be X and Y grid. Well, I go out to the machine, and the guy's like, well, just trig it out. And I'm like, what does that even mean? So in 40 minutes, I had an instructor teach me trigonometry, but I could see it. I could see it on the machine, and I understood I needed those angles to put the holes in the right spot. And I probably honestly learned like an entire year of trigonometry in 40 minutes because I could actually apply it to something that I was doing on a machine. Uh huh. Gotcha. So for 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 you, it's uh, exper- experiential learning is the is the way to go, right? So it's not so th- theory just right. floats out of your head. It's not interesting, but as soon as soon as it becomes relevant, um, you're a sieve. You're a sponge as opposed to a sieve. Right, and I, I and I like I like theoretical as long as it's applied to something I'm interested in. If that makes sense. Sure, sure. <laughs> so when you found out you had uh, EDS, you, did you become a researcher of it, or did it did it just sound like some sort of final sentence that was going to determine the rest of your life? Like how how engaged were you in your own, you know, medical odyssey? Oh, well, I've never had anyone ask me this. Well, um, okay. So I like, I'm seriously not trying to offend anyone, but for me, um, I did, I started doing research and what we found out just totally coincidence. My wife was at a garage sale and found this little flyer on a support group for EDS. And she's like, Oh, you got to go to this. You got to go to this. I, I was, like attitude wise, I was more frustrated because I really, it wasn't that I had just given up. Like I was trying, like, I, you know, I even going outside to, to shovel the driveway with a couple inches of snow on it. Um, I would grab a shovel. I put, you know, boots on winter boots and the boots, they were so cushiony from the liner. My ankles would just fold and I would just like, boom, in the driveway. It wasn't that I wasn't trying. So, um, when I started doing research in these support groups, what I found was um, the people were very, it, it was all see who could be in worse shape, see who was in worse pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, they, they felt very sorry for themselves. And again, I'm not trying to judge them because my condition, this stuff is all over the place. You, you have a vascular problem. I mean, your veins just explode. So I got the really good part, the hypermobile. But at the same time, it didn't feel like a support group. It just felt like a wine fest, like just people complaining. So I didn't go to that. And everything I researched on the Internet, you know, try to find some inspiration or, you know, the remedies. It was always just people don't understand because it's a disease that you can't see and the spoons and the zebras and all that stuff. And I just I never got into that, Uh mostly because I didn't want to get into it. Right. But I don't you, know if you, that answers your question. Yeah, it's interesting because you you know I'm I'm looking at the blog post you wrote, uh, 
guess this week about liabilities and assets. And one one of the things you're like really passionate about is how how you saw your knee as this kind of global liability as a as a metaphor for everything you couldn't do and everything that was denied you. Right. You talked about you, yeah. you're right. The liabilities and excuses were spreading through my body like a cancer. Right. And I, I think that's an easy place to get. Again, um, even if you could you could even justify it. I mean, um, I, I, again, I don't think anyone could say anything if, if I was in a wheelchair right now. And there's a lot of people in with the same condition, uh, worse or better that are in a wheelchair and there's really not, I mean, Hey, they dislocate almost every step you take as a dislocation. Um, but what I've found, and I'm actually working with my doctor about this right now. Um, and when you talk about the research, I researched the wrong things. I looked at the genetic part. Uh, my sister, my other sister, I have two sisters. Uh, the other one has multiple sclerosis. So I started looking into the genetic factor, which, um, is I believe it's one chromosome off from MS. So just like the overheat thing, I just learned this um, from someone on my Facebook page that EBS um, ha people have trouble uh, thermal controlling, like they can't cool. Um, so this is a new thing. I couldn't figure out why I was swelling up all the time when I run in the heat, but and it's very similar to multiple sclerosis. So I was focused on the genetic aspect of it, but here's the thing. You can't change your genes, okay? You can't do that. And a lot of people use, now that I'm finding, you know, you know, five years later, people love the genetic things. I'm genetically, you know, prone to being fat. And it's, it's all excuses. But the truth is, you know, Ehlers-Danlos is a genetic disease and you can't get rid of it. So to focus on the genetic part of it was just a waste of time. The symptoms, see, typically you want to chase the root of the problem and not go for the symptoms. But with EDS, if you go after the symptoms, the EDS can almost be held at bay because what I wasn't looking at is the inflammation and edema. And that, that was in the atrophy too. Like all that stuff played in. So I never looked at food. It's a genetic disease. What could food possibly do? Which by the way is the same thing with multiple sclerosis. Um, again, it's genetics. There's nothing we can do about it. But if you look at the food, it, it, and if you can get rid of the inflammation, the majority of your symptoms will go away, including arthritis and everything else. Mm -hmm. So when when but I didn't, yeah, all right, so, so yeah, sorry. So 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 but, you know before before we start on the on the upward trajectory of of the healing and the accomplishment. So you you had been two hundred and fifty pounds uh, muscular in high school. Now you're um, you know you're working. Um, Desk jobs, coming home, icing, ibuprofen. It sounds like you're you're not active at all. Uh, what? Uh, it sounds like your 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 weight just went up, right? You talked about the the four hundred pounds. How how did that happen? Well, I mean, little by little. I I actually um, looking back through pictures, um, I, I got big pretty fast. So you know, I, I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Probably you know maybe I'm totally guessing right now. But maybe, you know, by the time I was 30, I definitely was over 300 for sure. And then over the next five years, I mean, you pack on, you know, 15, 20 pounds and, you know, going to college. I was still working. Um, my wife has a cleaning business, a commercial cleaning business. So I was working with her and then 
also going to school. So, I mean, it wasn't that I was just sitting around, but when I had finished school and got into a job, which would have been, you know, 10 or 11 years ago, that's when I kind of backed off the activity. And then the weight started really piling on and the busy part too, which is another great excuse. You know, you're so busy and here I am, I was working a full-time job, helping my wife part-time, um, family, teenagers, you know, basketball games, softball games, running just constantly. And my diet went from, you know, trying to cook at home to every morning stopping, getting two sausage, egg and cheese biscuits. And then for lunch, I'd go out and get a couple tacos. And then, you know, for a snack on the way to my next job, I'd grab a couple things off the dollar menu. And then on the way home, we'd order pizza and wings. And, you know, that, that was a typical day. It's, it's almost embarrassing to talk about, but that was a typical day for me and my family. We had ordered pizza and wings out um, so much that when we called uh, the pizza place, they, you know, they knew who we are and they, they already knew our order. Um, they, every pizza I bought had four blue cheeses in each, you know, a blue cheese in each corner and we didn't even ask for it. They just, they just did it. That's how regular we were, um, at ordering the stuff. Uh So once the diet changed, the weight just, you know, it just tumbled on. And then, you know, it's just, it snowballs because the heavier you are, the more I hurt, the more, you know, you you get done eating, you know, three pieces of pizza and 20 wings and you just want to crawl under the table and go into a coma. So you're doing less and less activity. You're eating more and more food. You're in more and more pain. So you keep popping more and more painkillers. And it's just the cycle that uh, I'm guessing one more year I would have been dead. What what did your wife and kids think about this lifestyle and about you and, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the lessons of, of EDS, of having a, uh, an unavoidable genetic disorder? Yeah, well, uh, well, like that, like I said in that blog post, it was sympathetic, um, and you know, and I, I've never really thrived on sympathy. Like I've always had kind of the other thing, but in time, you know, you, you go out and you know, my wife Heather would she'd be working all day, and you know, here I am sitting on the couch and she's trying to get stuff ready and. She's outside taking the garbage out, and here I'm, you know, sitting in a recliner with my feet up, and it's like, you know, I, I was, you know, again, being a big, you know, strong kid. I mean, we started dating when we were, like, 15 and 16 years old, so she always knew me as a big, hard-working, strong guy, and now, you know, she's out there dragging garbage cans out to the road, and, um, yeah, you feel like crap about it. But at the same time, you'd say something, she goes, well, no, you know, you can't just, I feel so bad for you. You know, here, she's feeling bad for me when I'm the one that should be feeling bad. So you pick up that sympathy, and then that that starts spreading because everyone feels sorry for you, and that's all they talk about is your your joint disease and how terrible and all. I can't believe the arthritis. And, you know, I always had a nice pile of MRIs I could show people, look at grossly abnormal, you know, degenerative, you know, all these crazy x-rays and stuff. So, and I was always in braces, always... You know, always at least every other week on crutches for something or another. So my family had sympathy for me, you know, mm-hmm. which is understood. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like in, in its way it was a, you know like a, a very pure expression of love, like right, right, like no, you know, un, unconditional. Like yeah, you're you're in pain, you're a mess, you're you're unable to contribute in a lot of ways, 
and we love you anyway. Yeah, and even with the, the painkillers, um, I try to stay away from this one, but, you, you know, even that, knowing what they're doing to me, um, my wife, I, and you could see it in her eyes, like, hey, you got to go pick up a script of, of fentanyl. Fentanyl is like, it, it is nasty stuff. And, you know, I was always like riding the line on, you know, call the insurance company, maybe even go so far as to get clearance to get a little early. Um, and I'd make her go down there and she'd come back. Nope, not yet. They said tomorrow, you know, go back down there tomorrow. So she did it, you know, she knew what it was doing to me, but at the same time, you know, she loves me so much. And again, the sympathy thing, well, I feel sorry that you're in this pain. So I have to go, I have to go get it, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you said what one more year would have killed you. So obviously you're still here. What happened? What, what started right. turning things around? Um, well, actually what happened was, um, her mother got diagnosed with leukemia. Um, and we had never really experienced like any cancer stuff in our family. I mean, we had like friends and our family, but we never experienced it that close. Um, and, and then at the same time, um, we were going through all that. My father got diagnosed with kidney cancer. So I guess, you know, there wasn't one thing that kind of flipped the switch. Um, I kind of look at it like, um, you ever see the inside of a, a lock tumbler? Yeah. Um, all these little tabs got to be right in a certain spot to turn the key. So I wouldn't want to recreate it. I don't know if I could, but here, you know, I am getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I have this idea that it's not my fault. It's genetic. And it's just, these are the cards I was dealt. So, so be it. But then I'm watching her mother who was just, she was an awesome, awesome lady. And She's struggling every day to want to live, just, you know, just to want to live through the day. And, you know, going to the hospitals every day for the transfusions and everything. And a lot of times she was in the pediatric unit and walking through and seeing these kids, like it would just, it would rip your heart out. These kids want to live so bad. And uh, the one day I walked into her mom's room and uh, she was in really bad shape. And the first thing she said was, how's your knee? Cause I had just blown it out and it, it crushed me, you know, this lady, you know, she's struggling to hang on for a couple more days and she's worried about my knee. Mm -hmm. And so I really, you know, my dad, same thing. My dad, you know, lived a, a, a great life and then he was given six months to live and he made it six weeks. And I think maybe I needed to see that death to really appreciate life. I mean, you know, at 40 years old, you understand that death is there and it happens, but to experience it, just get, you know, just get two heavy hits like that. Uh, it really puts life into perspective that how bad really, how bad really am I? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if her mom could jump in my body and go for a walk, would she do it? And the reality is, yeah, there's a lot of people, regardless of how bad you have it, there's a lot of people that would trade spots with you instantly. So I started learning, instead of focusing on everything that was wrong with me, I started looking at, well, what's right? Yeah, my knees hurt, but I can move. So, um, and th this is actually before the plant-based thing. So um, I needed to do something, and I knew I had to get weight off me. 
Um, but the other factor that, that, that was huge is um, I had been doing some research on uh, gastric sleeve. Uh-huh. Um, I figured if I could get weight off my joints, obviously, if you have bad joints, the last thing that you want to do is put extra weight on them. So my idea for all the research is this is an easy, easy way out. Go get the surgery and basically, you know, it muzzles your mouth for you and you can only fit so much in your stomach. So you're going to lose weight. And then once the weight's off, we'll go from there. So I called um, a, a pretty, pretty good size uh um, I don't know if it's a company, a medical place that, that actually specializes in it. Got the paperwork sent to me, filled it all out. I never really talked about the beginning part with my wife that much. I just did the application. You, I think you had to go to like two classes. You had to meet with someone. And then uh, the last step was to get clearance from your um, primary care physician. Mm. Now, my wife and I had been visiting him typically every other week. So like we had a really uh, good relationship with him because I was always in there for one reason or another. So I started showing Heather the videos of, you know, a guy that got the surgery a year later, he's running a marathon. And I'm like, this is what I need to do. I got a, you know, I'm 400 pounds or thereabouts. Uh, they, they, I would go into the doctor and their scale only went to 350, but, um, I got a 389 once on a digital scale, and I know I was still growing after that. So, but at any rate, um, I said I was trying to sell this to my wife, and my wife has been there to support me through everything, even if it's stupid. You know, she'll she'll go along with it just um, because she does. But I couldn't get her to to sign off on this. I just couldn't. I couldn't sell it to her. She was worried. Well, what happens? You know, you they're going to cut you. And they're gonna alter you forever. And she goes, "What if you don't wake up? You know what? You know, there's so many things that could happen." I'm like, "Nope." Did the you know statistical study? I had everything I needed. So my idea was to take her to my doctor, who again we knew really well, and I was gonna lay this all out. And then right in front of her, he would okay it, say it'd be fine. A lot of people do it, and life was gonna be good. Well, we went in there. And, you know, I even had the paperwork out for him to sign, and he's like, Tim, I have signed off for every single one of these so far. And he goes, I will probably sign off for every single one after you, but he goes, I'm not signing this for you. He said, you can't do this. And I'm like, why? So his theory was that if I lost a lot of weight really fast, um, the only thing holding my joints together were muscles. So... What he was worried about that I would lose a lot of weight and turn lose a lot of muscle, and then once my muscles became too weak to hold up my joints, I would be in a wheelchair and I never get out. Uh-huh. And my wife, I, she probably wouldn't admit she was happy, but I think she was really relieved. Um, and I was just I was crushed. I was because I had everything, all my energy was focused on this one thing. This is what I was going to do, and I was going to this is my new shot. This is my second, you know, chance at life. And it just got stripped away. Like, so me, the way I work, well, I'm going to find another doctor, you know, until, and I'm going to get this done. But I could tell this just wasn't, you know, my wife just did not want me to have this done. Uh So I don't know. I don't know what came over me. I just, I said, 
I got to try to do this like the old fashioned way. So, um, everyone in my family, you know, heavy or has been heavy. And, um, so my mother, especially, she is an expert dieter. It's funny because she said to me a couple of days ago, she said this, I actually jotted it down to write about it. She said, I have spent my entire life dieting and working hard to be fat. Hmm. That, that, you know what, that, a lot of people do that. You know, this, you know, the restrictive diets or whatever the fad diets are, um, she works hard to be fat. I hate saying that, but since she said it, I can say that. Um, and so that's what I knew. I mean, I knew the cabbage soup diet, the grapefruit diet, the Atkins diet. We had all that stuff. Uh, she, had, she still has bookshelves full of it. So pick your diet. You know, Atkins is a great one for me because I like bacon, cheese, and all that stuff. So it was a dream diet. Um, and so I figured, well, I'll start losing weight. But at the same time, um, I needed to move again. I needed to get moving, and I knew that. So I got out a journal. Um, and to be honest with you, I started praying, too. And instead of praying for a miracle, I just prayed for enough strength to just make one small change a day. Nothing crazy. Just do a, just a little bit more than I'd done the day before. So things like getting out of my chair in my office. I, I broke both the arms off my chair. Like a week before I went to the doctor, I went to get out of my chair and both arms folded right off. So I had a new office chair, and um, I read somewhere that when you stand up, you should try not to use your arms and just use your quads. So I started doing stuff like today's goal was to get, if I stand up out of my chair, just sit back down and do it again. And then I come home and look at the journal. And believe me, this, remember I told you about the school thing. Like journals, that, that was for other people. I don't do that. That's for writers and whatever. That's for creative people. I'm not creative. So it was totally out of character for me. But I come home and I look and I'm like, yeah, I did that. I got out of my chair twice today. Um, stairs were huge for me because I couldn't get upstairs. Um, and then just, just one small thing a day, I would change like activity-wise. Um, and, and I definitely wasn't plant-based, but I started swapping out, um, so for the two, for the two sausage egg and cheese biscuits in the morning, I'd grab a banana or two. Um, and not that I eliminated anything, but if I ate a banana before I ate the two of them, I, I probably would want just one. I felt good with one. So uh -huh. I started bringing in more healthy food, but my idea of healthy was, it's funny because me and Josh were just talking about this. My idea of healthy was a bag of jerky and a mozzarella cheese sticks, you know, because you don't, you don't want to eat carbs because those will make you fat. Right. But, so that was my idea of healthy. But even so, it sounds like it started working a little bit. It did. And, well, at 400 pounds, um, you can lose weight, and you can lose weight pretty fast. Uh, just about any anything because you have so much to lose. Uh, just just by doing a little bit extra physical activity, to, you know, a day will help you. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, instead of <laughs> we used to process a lot of meat, a lot of meat. Uh, I had a whole meat kitchen in my basement, like you know, grinders and stuffers and uh, smokers and. Um, in fact, one one day I still have pictures from us. We did. Um, 285 pounds of sausage me and two of my friends made in a day so there's no joke i mean we, is this, is this from, like, from hunting 
Um, from hunting, and then we would actually buy, because uh, we used to raise animals, too. Um, so, and a lot of my friends are farmers, and with, I mean, literally behind my house is a butcher shop. So, you know, we would do, we would do the processing part um, uh, that way. And so my life was meat. I mean, that's what we did. We ate a, we had a freezer, you know, just, we were always, in what we thought was, we buy the healthy stuff because it's coming from the farmer down the road. So, you know, the idea for me was, all right, let's, let's ditch the hamburger. But when turkeys go on sale for Thanksgiving, we're going to buy as many as we can when they go on like super cheap. Um, and then we're going to process them into turkey burgers. So that's what we did. We, I mean, same deal, you know, everything big, you know, so make 200 turkey burgers and freeze them. So I, you know, trading the red meat out for the, the chicken and the, and even started eating fish, which I'd never really ate too much fish other than what we caught. Um, and it, you know, weight was coming off. I still felt like crap though. Um, but little by little, I was mixing, uh, more and more, you know, vegetables in there and, and better stuff. My diet was better. It certainly wasn't good. Right. So, so how did you discover plant-based? Well, about three and a half years ago, um, I had I had lost a, a pretty good amount of weight. I'm not sure. It's I feel like every time I say a number out there, I look back at a picture and I'm like, yeah, maybe I was a little more, a little less. So yeah, I was certainly, you know, under the 350 mark. Um, I was sitting watching Netflix because that's what I used to do. Um, and Joe Cross's film came out, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. And there was nothing else on, so I hit play, and I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, whoa. So I'm I'm sure you're familiar with with Joe, but he comes to the the U.S. from Australia. He goes on a 60-day juice fast, um, and he doesn't consume anything except fresh veggie and fruit juice out of his juicer that he makes, like, right on the side of the road. And after 60 days, he loses a bunch of weight, and more importantly, he gets rid of like almost all the medicines he was on. And um, then he bumps into a lot of people on the way. Super inspiring. So before the credits rolled, I had already ordered a juicer. I'm like, there you go. I'm going to do this. So the juicer came and we, uh, we, we went out to get vegetables and most of the shopping we did because we ordered out. So it was like a little convenience stores or whatever to pick up bread and milk. So, you know, we go buy, you know, whatever whatever veggies I was making, uh, carrots and stuff. And then we put them through the juicer, and there's like a half a cup of juice. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so I did a 30-day juice fast. Um, and it was fantastic. I mean, literally, like, within probably the first four or five days. The first four or five days are hell um, because this is a total shock to your body. Uh, but after about five days, it's like... I wasn't hungry anymore. And I really, I go back and think about this. How could you eat, you know, two and three, you know, double cheeseburgers, a large fry, and then, you know, an extra large diet pop because you don't want to get fat. So you got to have diet. But you eat all that food in a half an hour, you're hungry. Um, But yet, you know, you drink some juice and for some reason you're not hungry. 
And, you know, maybe your body's really starving for nutrients in, instead of calories, but that's a whole other topic. But at any rate, um, I started feeling great. It was, the sleep was the first thing. Um, I couldn't sleep through the night. My wife would have to shake me in the middle of the night because I'd stop breathing. Um, I would actually, I had um, acid reflux so bad that I would actually aspirate on it in the middle of the night and start choking. So, like, days, literally days. I'd wake up in the morning like, whoa, this is the same way I went to bed last night. It was, and that was, like, magical. Um, I started feeling better. You know, my skin started getting better. Like, you know, I had so much more energy that I, I came home, sit on the couch, and turn the TV on. I'm like, this is boring. I want to go do something. Hmm. Um, but at the same time I'm doing this, um, I'm learning where to get veggies from, you know, uh, you know, I, a lot of things I do kind of over the top, I think. So instead of going and buying a couple five-pound bags of carrots, I want to know where the restaurants get them from. So I'd start calling, like, wholesalers. And, you know, we found where we, we can get veggies at the same place the restaurants get them. So, you know, buy 50 pounds. And, um, you know, even if even if you use three-quarters of them and you can't get to the restaurant, it's still, you know, it's still cheaper than buying them from the store. So it really taught me to start buying produce, start looking, you know, at stores that maybe don't sell all the boxed food in that. Mm -hmm. um, but it also is totally unsustainable. And I knew that. You, you can't live on juice the rest of your life. Um, so come home, Netflix, and then the Netflix says, because you watch That's Chicken Nearly Dead, maybe you should watch Forks Over Knives. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Huh. I watched it, and... I've never done this before with a movie. By the time it was over, I literally went back and played it again, like two times, like boom, boom, right in a row. I just, like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this has to be total bull crap. There's no way that, that food can matter this much without everyone knowing it. Like, there's no <laughs> way. It would be, like, illegal or something. You can't do that. Um, <laughs> but then... Yeah, it's true, though. Like, if, if people really understood the power of what you put into your mouth, like, no one would ever eat bad food if they really knew. That's what I think, anyways. So I, then I did start doing research, and I started, I became a student of nutrition. Um, I started researching everything, and everything that I read would back this stuff up. So I was coming to the end of the juice fast, and I'm like, you know what? What would happen? if I just eat what I'm putting in the juicer. Now, I hadn't had meat or dairy in 30 days, and I noticed stuff that I've had my whole life. Um, eczema, you know, terrible eczema, gone. Um, you know, my complexion was better. My hair was going better. My nails, like, everything about me, like, the pain, the, like, inflammation. Like, this stuff was all just going away. I'm like... Is it a coincidence? Is it the weight? Because you want to do that. Well, I'm 30 pounds less, so it's just it's a weight. But I could tell by the way I feel it wasn't it wasn't just a weight thing. So um, I made a goal to go 30 days because I'd already went. In fact, the day I started the juice fast, I ate a chunk of pickled herring. I got 11.59. It was the last piece of meat I ever ate, and that's just disgusting stuff. So. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't have picked that one for my last piece of meat, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, so I went 30 days. I didn't bring the dairy or meat back in. Um, but what I was finding is I had to eat a whole lot of food to, to 
you know, I was hungry all the time. So um, that's what, you know, the more research I did when I started looking at, you know, Dr. McDougall and uh, started, you know, bringing the rice, which, which we had always been taught growing up, again, from an obese family, rice makes you fat. Don't eat rice. So, you know, don't, and potatoes, potatoes was the other thing, but actually that's what I live on now is, you know, half of my plate is either potatoes or rice and the other half is veggies. So, hmm. um, so that's, I mean, in, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I became plant-based and you, you know, the, the better I feel, you know, the more compliant I'd want to be. And, uh, yeah, I, I would never, ever, ever want to go back for no reason at all. Uh-huh. So was it hard for you to to change your taste buds? Did you feel, you know, deprived or bored or like so many people say, you know, when I kind of teach them about the diet, they're like, I don't know what to cook. I need a whole new recipe. I need all these new skills. Like what what was the transition like for you? Well, I never used to cook and I cook a lot now, but you know, it's I hate to keep bringing up Josh, but me and Josh were having this conversation. And for, and for folks who, for folks who don't for folks who don't know who don't who uh, who don't know the context, tell us about Josh. Well, <laughs> this is a little sub story here, so sorry. Um, I for for years, well, for the last five years, I thought I was kind of on an island here. Like I know there's people plant based, but most of them are already health conscious, and you know they you know they're kind of uppity and. You know, that's kind of a stereotype that, that I get. Like, I hate even using the word vegan, but a guy like me, when I think of vegan, I think of an 80-pound dude with a leaf of spinach munching on it. Um, so I had always thought myself as like a misfit, some kind of freak of nature that, you know, was plant-based and, you know, still, I'm, I mean, I'm not a little guy. I'm still a, a big guy, and I... I I think I'm kind of a manly guy, like uh, the opposite of what my original conception of um, veganism or plant-based would be. So um, I started a a Facebook page that was supposed to be just so I wouldn't be bothering all my friends and family about plant-based stuff. And I figured if people wanted to hear about the plant-based side of me, they could volunteer for it somewhere else. So I set up a, a Facebook page. And I started getting questions that were scaring me. Um, I did not plan on a lot of the messages and stuff. I just thought it was a cool place to post little, you know, little pictures and memes or whatever, little inspiration stuff. So what sort of questions? What sort of questions were scary? Yeah, so a lady called, this is the one that, like, kicked me over. A lot of people were calling Hey, I'm, you know, I'm in bad shape. I weigh, you know, 600 pounds or something, or 500 pounds. I don't know what to do. I can't move. I feel like I'm dying. And, and I was getting nose, but the one that really like kicked me was a mom said, my son is going to die if you don't help him. And that basically she gave me like no information. And I'm like, I went upstairs, I went to bed and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like heavy stuff. So I'm like, who do you ask about this? So who am I supposed to call? I mean, I can't call Rich Roll, right? So who am I supposed to call? And I remember because Josh's story. Josh has been on Rich Roll twice. Uh-huh. And, and we're talking. Um, we're talking about Josh Lajani. Correct. Right. Who's uh, who's uh, who, who had a similar trajectory to you, right? Exactly. And that's when I listened to his podcast. I listened to both of his interviews. I'm like, this dude sounds like me a little bit. So I'm like, I wonder if he's like, you know, I know he's a real person, but. 
you know, he's kind of a celebrity from being on Rich's podcast. I wonder if he'll even answer me. And I, this is not like me. This was totally out of character, but I shot him a message and I'm like, dude, I don't know who to ask this. I'm sure you get these kind of questions and I don't know how to answer this. So, you know, it would be great if you could just give me a couple lines. What, what do I say to this person? Like within 30 seconds, we were on the phone. He was getting my address to send me a pair of shoes and we talked for like two hours. And uh, it was like, it was crazy. And then everything kind of worked out to uh, Jason Cohen doing that film. Um, He needed uh, someone else to talk to. So everything just kind of mashed. And since that day, like me and Josh are, it's weird because he lives 1,300 miles away from me. And we're like friends. It's it's weird, like that Mm -hmm. kind of a relationship. But we talk quite often. Have you met in person Um, yet? So that's how I got. No, but I can't wait. I'm I'm hoping... uh, Plant stock. Um, All right, August, the um, meet, so. right the Eng- engine two event up in uh, in Claverack. Yeah, at the Esselstyn's farm. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to meet him. So, um, but so that's that's how I actually connected with God. Um, so that's now this thing back to the question of uh, I forgot the question. Where were we? Well, that's a scary question. Yeah, well, that's how, that's how, okay, so, so basically you were asking about the food and how to prepare it and stuff like that. Um, and this, like me and, me and Josh have a lot of the same attitudes and stuff. Um, but the one place I think that we're a little bit different, um, when, when I'm trying to help people with the cooking, I mean, Josh is like, you throw potatoes, throw beans into the Instant Pot, turn it on and eat it. You know, yeah. this is food. This is what you eat. And he's right. And to be honest with you, that's pretty much how I eat. Um, I don't eat all these fancy meals. But at the same time, I realize that one of the big drawbacks to plant-based is people don't know what to do with food. For me, when I see I – get, I get potatoes in 50-pound bags. I look at the potatoes – the easiest, fastest way for me to eat them is pop them in the microwave. I have a little Sharpie. I poke the Sharpie marker in the middle of them, and I fill that hole. With, when I pull the marker out, I fill it with sriracha, and I leave. Boom, done. I realize that families and, you and know, just, normal just, people just aren't going to want to eat yeah, like that. Just, just to be clear, you're not taking the cap off the Sharpie, right? Oh, no, 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 no. It's just the Sharpie is a perfect diameter to, right. to make it. <laughs> I, I, just want, I, just, I don't want people to listen to this podcast and, and, and start, like, inking their potatoes. No. I actually, I, the only reason why I bring that up is someone just commented. I put that on Instagram once, and I'm like, and I, and I, I titled it, like, probably from my former addiction to Boston cream donuts. You know, there's nothing like biting into a potato that's you know, has sriracha filling in it. But, yeah. So, but that's normally, like, I eat like that, like, all the time. But at the same time, uh, we have parties, we have picnics, and um, I can't do that to people. And a lot of people, they'll steer away from the plant-based. If you just give them a bag of carrots, well, what do we do with it? They don't know what to do. So I probably once or twice a week, I even get my GoPro out, and I'll film me cooking something that's nice. And, like, my focus isn't so much fancy. It's, like, hearty stuff, uh, potatoes and gravy and you know, stir fries, heavy, you know, rice and beans stuff. And it's weird because when I cook it, to me, it seems so simple. But people are just like, well, never thought of that. Um, so the, the food-wise, I keep my food pretty simple. But then I reach out there a couple times a week just so I can keep that stuff going on my Facebook page. 
um, and Instagram, just so people see that the variety, um, in fact, I'm getting, I'm almost done with a video. Where I take pictures of everything I eat and then I just like machine gun them into a, a quick, like 30 second video. It's amazing. It, you know, people say, well, there's no variety in plant-based. I can tell you what, I have more variety now than I ever did. You know, I, I have more variety in a week of my food now than I did in a month eating burgers, pizza, and wings. I mean, those are my three groups, you know, meat and cheese. That's it. Gotcha. So it, it's just, and like Josh said, it's an excuse. That's what it is. And he's right. But at the same time, I like to give people, I like to take that excuse away from people. Sure. Sure. All right. So you're, you discover plant-based, you're feeling better, your skin's better, your inflammation is down. When did it enter your mind that you could not only like walk and, you know, take out the garbage, but actually become an athlete? Okay. So not, yeah, this question. Huh? Okay. So I'm going to keep it together as much as I can. So again, at 400 pounds, if someone told me this, I would have laughed in their face, but I, I, and however I can or cannot describe this to not do it justice. Every single aspect of my life has been flipped upside down. Um, ever. There's no stone unturned. Um, my, my, my wife and I never had a bad relationship. Um, we always took care of each other. We've been through a lot together. So we learned to fight hard. Um, but the difference now is there's never, we, our enjoyment would be watching TV, uh, blockbuster back in the day, whatever we could get, you know, to just put on a TV, a TV was our thing. You know, we all, we had the first big screen TV that ever came out. Um, that was our entertainment today. Our life is, we call them, you know, we call them adventures. We go on adventures every weekend. It doesn't matter where it is. We just try to do something, something different than we have never done, some new experience. Um, and super short story, um, last last uh, summer was kind of, uh, uh, my wife had a, um, a medical issue. She had some surgery done, so she was kind of out for about a month. So I had to take over her business for a while. So it really crunched the summer on us. And so she said, all right, this summer is yours. What what do you want to do? What's your big thing this summer? And I'm like, well, I have a lot of big things. I am like to do a century and a couple other things. But I really want to climb Mount Washington. Um, it's the highest peak out here in the east. And uh, it's supposed to be a brutal climb. And I'm like, I want to do that. So she went online and started hunting around YouTube. And she goes, I think I can get up that one with you. We've done a couple high peaks before, uh, nothing quite this crazy. Um, but how cool is that from, I'm going to cry, from her putting my socks and shoes on to like wanting to go, you know, just summit Mount Washington is like a crazy hard climb. Like it just, it's, it blows my mind. Really? Literally five years ago, she was digging my socks you know, out of my skin because they were so inflamed over them and, and changing my shoes to, to want to go up a mountain. And, you know, I'm, I'm a better dad. Um, I do a lot more, you know, even, you know, as a kid, you know, practice and all that, I couldn't sit in the bleachers for so long. We could, my joints were always so inflamed that I couldn't sit in the car for a long time. Um, you know, spiritually, emotionally, physically, 
every everything is turned upside down. Everything. I'm better at my job because I don't want to sit in my office and sleep all day. Um, just everything. Everything is better. Uh, what? I know that doesn't even sound true, but it's it's true. Well, you know, no nobody will know what it's like to be you, but no one that will know what their own potential is unless they take those steps. So there's no even like I told you about the processing meat. Um, we actually got a piece of property where I have a quarter acre garden. I have 250 kale plants going right now. We have a 40 foot greenhouse. Um, in the summer or in the winter, um, sometimes I have 3,000 uh, seeds started in my basement. That you know, we started canning. I have a, a we call it the veggie vault. I have a room in, in my basement that has you know like 2,000 jars in it. Like. I'm telling you, like every single thing has changed for me. Wow. Everything. So uh, one one more question. So you were you and your kids. You have you have. Uh, tell tell me a little bit. Your kids are how old now? Um. So my son is 22 and my daughter is 19. Okay. So they were they were. Because I get the I get the kid excuse all the time. I, I would do this way. The, the thing is, um, and, and you have children, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you you know the stages. Like it's a crazy stage when they're babies, and then you know you get to the middle stage, middle school thing. It's like, oh, I wish these kids were babies again. And then you know you get to the high school thing. It's like, oh, why can't we go back to middle school? And you know now, which this has nothing to do with the story, but now I look back and even though my son's 22, I'm like, oh man, I wish he was back home where I, you know, <laughs> I could throttle him back a little bit. But the bottom line is this: there's always going to be something in your life. So yeah, I wasn't changing diapers at the time I started uh, transitioning, but I was going to basketball games, softball games, um, as, as far as the work goes, um, and and. Again, this is just trying to to stop excuses before they happen. I have never worked less than a full time job and part time. I always go when all the teachers leave from school. I go to my next job or to help my wife with her next contract. Um, we work Saturdays and Sundays. Just for a couple years, we literally work seven days a week. We work hard. We work a lot of hours, and we did the whole kid thing. Um, the bottom line, and I'm actually writing about this right now is the time thing everyone has 24 hours and it's not time it's priorities i gave i hate saying give i didn't give anything up i traded a lot of things i was huge uh political fanatic crazy um, i used to plan my schedule around some of these you know talking head shows and stuff i don't do that anymore and you want to know what nothing's really changed from <laughs> what i understand so a lot of the things, it wasn't that don't watch movies anymore. It, it's not like I took that away. What I did is, you know what? I'm going for a run tonight. I'm going to go for an hour and a half run. Uh, I don't really feel like watching a movie. So it wasn't that take this out of your life or, you know, take going out to eat out. It just happens that when the good stuff comes in, it kind of crowds the bad stuff out. Do, do I say I will not watch TV? No, I don't do that. Right now, I don't have time for TV. Maybe someday I'll have time for TV, but it's not something that I took or I restricted. It's just about adding good stuff, and it kind of crunches the bad stuff out. So I never really gave stuff up. I just don't have room for certain things anymore. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. So when 
did your kids, I understand, you know, they're, they're, they're older. They're not like, you know, 11 and 13, but, um, uh, were, have they been influenced by your, your dietary changes and your lifestyle changes? Cause you know, they, they grew up, it sounds like eating, you know, the, the, the pizzas with blue cheese and the wings. Yeah, right. And they did. And, and some, Sometimes my wife and I have a have a, a little bit of guilt in which we would have known better, but we didn't, and it is what it is. But so my daughter is um I don't want to say a hundred percent plant based, but she's pretty close. If she uh has cheese or something and again, I don't push this. I never push this on my wife. I mean, this was not supposed to happen. This was supposed to be, you know, dad getting himself better, trying to live another year. Um, but when they're and they still got teeth and wings and stuff. But then when I'd pull out some potato wedges of the out of the oven, uh, they'd be stealing my food. So again, it wasn't that we took away pizza; it was just something better showed up. So my daughter, um, she, you know, she's pretty much plant based. If she has cheese or something, it's maybe once or twice a month, something like that. Um, my son moving out, I have a, a feeling he's totally not plant based at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, for a while when he was eating at home and you'd open the fridge and, you know, he, he always says a, a refrigerator looks like the produce aisle, but, and it does. So he'd say that, you know, there's a whole fridge full of food. We actually have two refrigerators cause we can't fit all our stuff in one. Um, and he'd open the fridge and it's just, you know, busting out with everything. There's nothing to eat. So, um, I don't know, but hopefully my example, you know, he'll, he'll look back someday when he's had enough and, uh, he'll turn around, but he's, you know, doing the the 22-year-old thing, living out of the house and eating out a lot. So, but my daughter's definitely, uh, you, you could almost say, you know, she's probably 99% plant-based. Sure. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at the clock and I want to make sure people can listen to this on, you know, on one, one, one or two commutes. Uh, there's there's obviously so much more, so uh, we should we should get together and talk after uh, after your next you know international marathon where you cro- cross Niagara Falls. Um, well, there may or may not be uh, an ultra coming up. I, I'm not like totally committed to, but I'm actually using an ultra training plan um, to train for the one in October. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? All right. Well, we'll we'll. We'll keep tabs on you, and you know I'm, I'm working yeah. with I'm working with Josh on a bunch of projects. So you you know you you come up frequently. So uh, we'll 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 let people know. And if people want to want to stay in touch with you and find out what what you're up to, where can they go? Well, I was keeping my uh, Facebook thing kind of private because I'm friends with like a lot of my former students. I like to keep in touch with. Um, but FatManRants.com is my website. Um, I'm on Facebook a lot under the fatmanrants.com. My Facebook page um, is a good place to connect. That's probably where I do most of my connecting with people. I mean, I try to write. This whole thing started with I would love to write a book, uh, but I don't want it to be like just my story. I like the idea of people. um, I was posting these rants on Facebook, and they were getting really long, so I just started jotting them down, and then, I try to post like once or twice a week. I'll get better at it as I go. Um, and they're really, they're really getting a lot of response. I just like throw it out there. Um, you know, what, what struggles I went through or what people are struggling with. And, uh, it's, I think I have almost, uh, 
40,000 uh, visits to the site in the last couple months because it's fairly new. So I'm pretty happy about it. It's helping a lot of people. So I'll just keep putting it out there until people don't want to see it anymore. Great. So t- Tim Kaufman of FatManRants.com. Man, yeah. c- congratulations on the journey. And thank you for all you do to, uh, you know, to make yourself a better person and make the world a better place and to inspire so many other people who can uh, do a little bit more today than they did yesterday. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Howard. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes with links to the documentaries we talked about and Tim's website at plantyourself.com slash 163. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 162 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the weekly email newsletter, get over to Plant Yourself and sign up. I include links to original articles. I share recent episodes of Tribe Well TV, any videos I've done. And this month, I'm offering, through the newsletter, a free month of the Healthy Habit Huddles. Thanks, big thanks to Plant Yourself podcast patrons Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Morrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Vilkanovsky, David Bizek, and the mysterious Michelle X for your generous support of the podcast. If you, you, I'm talking to you, would like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write a review on iTunes, or you can become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or an ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. Just look on the right sidebar for the donate or Patreon buttons. Next week, I talk with Timory Hagenberger, who's a plant-based professor of nutrition and creator of The Foodie Bar Way, which is a way and a book. In a world full of cookbooks, full of recipes, Timory's method of template-based mix-and-match meals is a welcome and much-needed innovation. Join us next week to learn all about it. In garden news, I don't really know because I'm in New York City this week accompanying my son to his classical guitar camp. I'm holed up in my sister's apartment. Thanks, sis, we haven't broken anything yet working on the next book. But as far as I know, things are growing, bugs are munching, deer are leaping over the fence, and the cycle of life is playing itself out fully. In this concrete jungle, a garden is a good thing to have faith in. That's it for this week. So as always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gillis, Sarah David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, 
Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch at Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Ashra Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, and Sarah Johnson for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.